What is up, entrepreneur? I hope you are doing well. We are well into Q1, and I cannot believe that March is right around the corner. Now, if you're looking for a little extra support with your business or leading your teams or wherever you need it, check out my website, which is Michelle A. Mercier, and set up a free coaching session because I am always happy to help. But for right now, we are jumping in with the incredible Marianne Moore. Let's go. Ever found yourself teetering on the edge of throwing in the towel? You know, asking yourself questions like, is this supposed to be this hard? Or is it even possible to succeed at this entrepreneur thing? I completely get it because I built my successful businesses while juggling major health issues for my children and myself, debt piling up to my eyeballs and so much more. Want to know how the hell I succeeded and how you can too? Tune in to find out. Here we go. entrepreneur and welcome to today's show. I am joined by Marianne Moore, who is an entrepreneur and strategy consultant specializing in human rights. She founded the social justice consultancy Justice Studio in 2011 and has worked extensively in the UK and in over 30 countries on criminal, child, and gender justice issues. She's essentially on a mission to delegitimize these structures and values of traditional business, helping the world to see that a new way is possible. So thank you so much for being with me here today, Marian. Thank you um, for having me here. It's very exciting to talk to you. Yeah. So I mean, before we jump in, and you and I talked about this a bit before, um, today's topic, folks, we're going to be talking a lot about, you know, how do you run a business when it is steeped in, you know, social issues or, you know, hard things. And I'd made a joke with her earlier that it's not like she's selling t-shirts, but she still has to run a company that is built upon social justice consultancy. So I just wanted to give a little bit more context about Marianne. So you understand what she's dealing with, you know, in the, this is a very micro you know, glimpse into it. But again, she's worked on prison and criminal justice reform in over 30 countries. Her clients are, you know, companies like UNICEF, Council of Europe, foreign Commonwealth and development offices. You know, she's provided high level technical expertise to governments in Turkey, Macedonia, and Albania, leading in designing the first ever child rights act of Somaliland, you know, and other things like designing, delivering, and evaluating training for police prison inspectors, judges, so many topics that aren't, again, we're not just selling a product here. So I wanted to just drive that home a little bit because when folks are thinking about things like, oh, I need to do my bookkeeping or, oh, I need to hire an employee. You know, this is a little bit of that on steroids, right, Marianne? So just tell me, you know, how you got to be doing work like this. Like what was your journey to get here? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was, I've always been a very passionate person, and I think for a long time, quite passionate about human rights, um, gender justice, and then, although it wasn't called that in in, in my day, when it was right, started, but, you know, <laughs> kind of feminism, but but also kind of children in the criminal justice system, I felt that they were really badly treated, and and I had a kind of a lot of passion around these human rights issues, but I essentially started out as a as a consultant, as a management consultant, working for 
um, kind of big consultancies in the UK, which were focused on government support and supporting charities, and also worked in the international development consultancy space too, where, you know, you kind of send a consultant out to a country and get them to do something. Right. So I, I kind of had this weird thing whereby I was really really obsessed about human rights, but I, I was applying it in a way that was in a consultancy lens. So through short projects, through strategic projects, through evaluating the work that other people have, have done. Right. Um, and yeah, kind of do, doing that kind of stuff, which is not necessarily that your traditional route into it, um, but it, it does kind of set you up nicely to establish your own consultancy company. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it teaches you the, the ropes of that part essentially. But can you give a little bit more context to us around, you know, when you're saying like child justice reform and things like that, you and I talked about this too, because I don't think people realize that there are way for it, other ways of doing things <laughs> besides, you know, this traditional model. So can you give a little bit of historical background around that piece in particular? Yeah, of course. I think, so children I think get a raw deal really in, in our society. I know that there's a lot of talk about, about children, you know, being too um, full of themselves or whatever, sometimes with some people, but in general, children, especially children who have a number of different vulnerabilities are really often forgotten by our society, by the UK government, by the US government. Um, they are often subject if they're going into care for example to local authorities who are not necessarily looking after them going into children's homes where they can be abused children in the criminal justice system um, can get sucked in because the age of criminal responsibility is very low in the uk it's the age of 10 and in the us in some states there isn't an age of criminal responsibility yeah. and in in many it's kind of between 7 and 12 so it's you know, you, you can get very young children, very vulnerable children being sucked into the criminal justice system. And then once they're there, it's hard for them to get out. And so a lot of the work that I did in my early career and what I'm very passionate about is trying to think of a different way of doing it. You know, a lot of the problems that lead children into criminal activity in the first place could be alleviated if we were looking after them properly when they were younger right. if we were supporting them in terms of their psychological well-being and making sure that they weren't being abused or neglected and and all of this kind of stuff so all of the the issues very much interlink when when you're thinking about how to better treat children in our society and and, and not end up having them be our scapegoats for things right i mean essentially it's it's a very systemic systemic right thing, right? Or systematic rather, where it's very linear and children aren't linear and they don't understand, you know, things like we tend to treat them like small adults, but they're really not. And there are so many developmental points along the way that if you stifle that development, that of course they're going to continue down that same path. So I think that's beautiful work that you do. And I, it just reminded me of, um, some of the studies that have come out from Brene Brown just was talking about the link between humiliation and hurting people, right? And humiliation and violence and different things like that. And, you know, that's the type of stuff that starts when we're children. And the fact that you're doing that work and have built a business around that and other things is quite commendable. But, you know, in particular, you know, what, take us beyond kind of what you've told us, like what inspired you to start your own thing? Like, where did you come from with that? Yeah, I think so much. So I think both positive and negative experiences of my working life inspired me to set up my <laughs> consultancy. I would say that I, 
as I said, I'm very passionate um, about human rights. And I think in some of the workplaces that I was in, I felt a little bit like I was being, um, yeah, put into a box or kind of like I had to fit their working model. And I wasn't really allowed to really pursue my passions and um, and kind of run off in, in the directions that I wanted to. And I had so much to offer that that felt quite frustrating to me. Right. Um, as well as just generally feeling that a lot of the big consultancy companies, they, although they have a great mission in terms of helping charities and governments to be more efficient and more effective, which I definitely support, I definitely think there can be um, a better way of operating for a lot of large organizations, but they didn't have the values. They didn't, they, many of the consultancies that I've worked for and that exist now today, they see the charitable and the government sector as just another market. It's just another place where you can earn money rather than being more empathetic about, you know, well, actually, what are these organizations trying to do and who are they trying to help? And there was that lack of compassion at the end, you know, of the end service user, the end beneficiary, which felt really important because what's the point in in working to help an organization be better if you don't really share its values or if you don't really care? Um, and and so what I wanted for my organization was was that it would it could be a place in a lot of ways for um, a replacement almost or, or a kind of alternative to what I'd experienced so that we could create an organization which definitely did have the good values of consultancy so we do help governments we do help charities we help them be more efficient you know I don't think there's anything wrong with that but we also have like a heart and we care and we want to help these organizations to improve the end results for beneficiaries and service users and I think that it's that kind of added bit of heart as well as brain um, which right. is important Right. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, and that must be a difficult place to be, right? Because it's it's business, right? Everyone, you hear people say that a lot, right? Like it's and it's one of my biggest pet peeves when people say take the personal out of business, right? Um, but at the end of the day, so how do you draw that line as the person who actually owns the business, but the person who's involved in these organizations who are doing social justice work, which you're trying to optimize and make an impact with? So that is a very tricky line to walk, I imagine. Very tricky. And I think, I think it, in a way, your question comes down to the fact of, you know, what do we see as business? And I, and I think that there's this, there's this separation between business and like not-for-profit work or charity work, right? which I think is in the minds of a lot of not-for-profit people too. But when I set out to establish Justice Studio, I, I had the option to set it up as a business mm-hmm. or as a, as a charitable or not-for-profit organization. And I went for a business model because I thought it was important for me that we earn our money, that we don't just try and kind of fundraise for things. Yeah. We're providing a service and we should get paid for that service and that money to, you know, to will fuel the business. So the idea is that it should be sustainable. But but just because we're a business, I doesn't mean that we have to be <laughs> bad or evil or, you know, um, that, that needs to be wrong in any way. And and I think what I, what, what people struggle with sometimes or what I think it's important to emphasize is that business can be good. I think we have this very old fashioned idea of business because it was, it's been created, you know, actually the history of business and the history of companies is actually very shady because it comes from our colonial past, you know, setting up um, companies to then go and colonize Caribbean islands, for example, right. setting up 
companies to to colonize India. Um, we have it, it is it is a bit of a shady past, and it has been built on a certain model. But it doesn't have to be. We can change that model, and we can change the ethics around business. So. I think that's what I would say first, but also, yes, I completely get your point that when you are, you know, you can have heart, but at the end of the day, you need to make the money work. You need to be able to have um, enough money to pay us to staff and, you, right. need, you know, you need to keep afloat. And so you can't just be thinking, oh, I really, you know, want to do this project or I want to work on this even more than, you know, that I'm getting paid for, even though we, we tend to do that a little bit too much but you know essentially we have to keep thinking that we're a business we have to stay afloat um we have to make commercial decisions as well as making decisions from from the heart as well right so i mean do you essentially operate from two different brains <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean it just feels that way and i hear i actually hear it a lot from service based entrepreneurs too right they get into it because they want to help they want to support but then well how do we turn around and charge or how do we but i mean i've always my response to that has always been the more money you make the more people you serve so you know how how i don't know as as like the leader of it how do you do both <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it is hard. I, I they certainly they um, they can they can conflict, but this is, I guess, the sen- the essential principle about the um, the double bottom line or the, or the triple bottom line, which which people may have heard of around yeah. having profit and purpose and planet if it's triple, um, and really making sure that business isn't just about profit I mean I think it's boring in in essence really to be just about profit I think if you don't have a purpose then really what's the point (laughs) you know what's the point in doing it at all I think I think that both are really important and and yeah and I guess it comes down to that thing of um there is a bit of attention there can be a bit of attention especially I think it might be a bit of a woman thing as well um about (laughs) about not not kind of charging too much or, or, you know, maybe underselling or, you know, not thinking enough about, about the profit, but, but realizing that it's, it's actually, it's okay to make money. You can make money and you can still be good. They don't necessarily have to be mutually exclusive thing. Um, So kind of sometimes there may be a bit of a, an argument between the head and the heart at different points, but, but I don't think that it, I think it is possible, sorry, to, to, to combine them and to make decisions based on both both factors yeah and trying to do that but yeah yeah I mean and, and I think that's <laughs> the case is that you try to do that right and they're going to be cut and dry things like can we can we afford to pay payroll well then that is a pretty straightforward problem versus you know have you ever run into a situation where there is an organization or or something that you'd like to work with because you know there would be a grand impact but they couldn't pay you so what what what's the situation like that happening <laughs> yeah I mean it happens a lot and we have I mean, I think it's not necessarily that we don't know that they work, they can't pay us um, most. So we have in the past also done some pro bono work for people who genuinely couldn't afford right. to do, right, right, to do right. pieces of work, um, could afford to, to do, um, have us, sorry. But um, yes, I think there is, there is always a choice. We have to think, you know, what, what projects are being offered or what we're applying for and can we does that actually make sense financially what what i've seen particularly is is a is an interesting and strange process is because i founded it and it originally it was just me as a one woman band i've grown it gradually into um a 10 person company and the um the process of that means that 
I have to readjust the limits of, of what we're going for and um, what may have kind of fed me and a couple of people salaries for a few months um, in the early days isn't going to feed the salaries of 10 people and so it's kind of trying to get those clients that can pay larger fees because and with longer projects because actually we need that in order to be sustainable so it's kind of been a bit of a of a gradual growing and learning what our own um what we're going to let in and what we're going to say no to right but you know depending on kind of where we're at at the growth stage right and now do you have kind of passion projects that run you know underneath because i've seen a lot of groups that say we'll take on these big clients in order to, like you said, do the pro bono work or or do the work that's more research-based that may not is not directly tied to a bottom line. So do you operate in that realm too? Well, luckily, most of the projects, whether they're big or they're small, are all pretty much passion projects because they all tend <laughs> to be true. in human rights. So yeah, um, yeah even, even if it's a project on human trafficking or if it's a project on criminal justice reform, it's not a case of changing the type of project. It's just more about changing maybe the the type of client, the size of the project, the scope yeah. of the project. So luckily in that sense, and in fact, I'm actually quite proud of that because I, I think I'm a bit discerning, or I've been discerning in the past about what I'm interested in and what I'm not interested in. And my main thing is I want my staff to love the work that they do and love the projects yeah. and be passionate about the projects. And I think we're very lucky that we don't have any boring projects or any projects that we just have to do. We, most of our projects are, pretty interesting, I would say. <laughs> That's wonderful. And I mean, and I like the way that you put it as like, you know, you, you can make an impact, but you may have to scale up or scale down on what that looks like. And I, and I like the fact that you're saying like your staff is very passionate and motivated by all of this, but I can imagine some of the topics that you're dealing in are also, you know, they take a toll. So, I mean, how do you, as a leader of a group of people, of staff who are at times dealing with these tough topics that can, I would assume, lead to burnout on some level, how do you lead people through that? Yeah, and that's such an important point. I mean, to give some context, we're working with an organization in the UK called the Samaritans, who are the um, principal crisis helpline for people who right. are feeling suicidal and um, and or need some help um, from from anybody really a, a stranger on, on on a hotline and we've been doing two projects with them looking at um, the, the frequent callers to that service as well as suicide on in con the construction industry so this is kind of pretty pretty difficult stuff we also have other projects with children's charities around child sexual abuse so these are difficult topics and when you're doing interviews or doing research and you're doing projects around some of these things there's there's the the possibility of secondary trauma from right. from that that information that you receive as a researcher and and kind of how you deal with that and how we deal with that as an organization has been a really key thing for us to to set up so we've been what we've got at the organization now is we have a, a part-time psychologist that's basically kind of around and on call if anybody needs her we've oh, also right. developed different peer support tools so that after people have a difficult interview they can they can kind of just unload um and yeah of course i think that you can't really lead an organization unless you have compassion and empathy for yes. for what that feels like 
the kinds of interviews that I ask my staff to do, the kinds of ones that I've done myself before, you know, I've, I've interviewed a lot of children in incredibly difficult situations in street situations all, all across the world. And I know it's horrible sometimes to have to hear the stories. Um, and, and I think if, if I didn't, first of all, care about them and about the, the end service user, and also think, okay, well, what do we need to put in place as safeguards so that they don't burn out and, and we don't create more problems than, um, you know, than we're trying to solve, then, then I think that would, be, that, would, that would mean that we weren't doing our jobs and it could be really problematic. So we take it really, really seriously. Um, yeah. Which is wonderful because I think others, other people would take the opposite of like, let's numb out. We're going to, we're going to be robotic when we go in, we're going to, you know, all business, we're not going to let it permeate. We're just going to kind of almost, you know, put a stone face on or stonewall through it. But there's only so much of that you can do when you're a human, correct? <laughs> going through what you're doing. Definitely. I mean, I, so I'm very open. So I think that there's no, it's, there's no problem with showing emotion at work. And I think that there's a bit of a problem that we have in terms of the current business model where it's like, yeah, nobody shows emotion. Everybody has to kind of put on this front and right. yet emotions that seem to be acceptable is anger, um, which actually <laughs> exactly. is a very good thing. And I, I am an emotional person. I'm also a, a reasonable, rational person, but I'm, but I'm also an emotional person. And it's really important for me to, I think, to role model showing emotion and showing that that's okay. And, right. and, and as you say, it's, it's, it's the type of work we're doing, but also it is stressful running a, running a business. Um, yeah. You know, and and for example, if somebody if if staff members leave, sometimes I cry, um, and and I don't feel like I should hide that really. I think you know sometimes you need to. I tell I tell my staff and I tell the people that I work with that you may see me showing emotion, but this is not something that you need to worry about because I'm a grown up and I can handle my emotion. You don't need to get a tissue. You don't need to tell me to stop. You just need to right. like let me let me cry and I'll stop crying, but it's better for me to get the emotion out. And I encourage them to do the same because I think it's when you're putting on that front and when you're denying your emotions and when you're trying to numb out that that's when things just slip out in, in terms of this like anger or, or kind of responses that you can't control in, in such a way. So yeah, I think, it's, I think it is hard, but we need to express it that it's hard. And I think people can be grownups and, and, and handle that. Yeah. I mean, and all I could think of when you were speaking about, you know, how you have the psychologist on staff and things like that was like, this is something that shouldn't be limited to just, you know, your type of work. Like those psychologists could easily be employed at different companies who are doing completely, you know, not as deep work with secondary trauma, right? Because there are so many instances where people are triggered on the daily, um, I think it's wonderful that you've put that in place in your, in your company. Um, so how do you though, personally <laughs> deal with, you know, because that's multi-layered because then you're holding space. You're not only holding space, you're holding space for your employees as employees, your employees as they're dealing with secondary trauma, and then, you know, the layers up and then yourself as you're dealing with the blowback from all of those different things. How are you personally dealing with that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it is really challenging, I would say. And I, I remember, you know, thinking about your 
the title of your amazing podcast, um, The Resilient yeah. Entrepreneur. Yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, yes, I'm resilient, but I, I feel almost like there needs to be a, a different a, word, a more strong word for, yeah. for that. Um, what I've kind of had to go through and kind of um, bounce back from because it is really hard. I think it's um, it's it's tricky to because for a long time I was working on projects as well as managing the team. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. their projects are in another country and the team is in a back in the UK and kind of trying to manage all that, manage cash flow, manage staff, and right. manage the project and manage the all of the different subjects that are coming up from the project. It is really challenging and it has been really challenging. And and I think that sometimes you know because you need to ultimately everybody looks to you um mm -hmm. to hold the space for them and to, right. and to make them feel calm and there is a challenge for a leader when you're you will feel the stress and you're almost a depository for everybody else's stress mm -hmm. and yes you feel stressed but there's only a limit to how much you can really show show your stress and I right. think it's it can be a bit different from showing emotions sometimes you know mm -hmm. you have yes. to be kind of you have to temper it right so yes I agree that you should cry but I'm not going to have a complete break down, you know, yeah. down right in the middle of a crisis when your staff <laughs> is crying you're not going to choose then yeah, to cry. yeah. Right. exactly you, you choose right. your moments like when it's <laughs> safe but but yeah I think there is a, a, a big pressure and, and and I don't know whether I've always managed it well because I think certainly certainly there's been times when I've just felt really, gosh, I mean, how on earth can I continue to be the person that is, you know, responsible for everything as well as the depositor for the stress and still work on these projects and do all, all of this stuff. I mean, generally, usually getting a bit of rest <laughs> will, will help. And, and I think for me, it's been about keeping an eye on my goal, which is setting up this sustainable organization and then gradually bringing people in so that I can uh, have a bit more of a breather in certain areas and and then it's not so much all on all on my shoulders so kind of setting up a board for example was really good right. for me because that meant that I had other people to talk to other people sharing the load having ideas mm -hmm. and um, I've just recently brought a managing director on board and that's been a kind of interesting experience to hand over a lot of stuff but, right. but that's kind of helps me to also start to take a step back and have less days in the office and um yeah and be working less on the project so I don't think I have a magic solution <laughs> um okay. I think it's just much more about you know what what kind of journey can you take and what's most important to you and and keeping an eye on um on on why you know you did it in the first place and that, that's yeah. kind of kept me going yeah I mean that that kind of that why, right? You hear that a lot, right? The, the staying rooted in the why, and you hear a lot about, you know, nonprofits and for-profits with mission drift, right? So, I mean, how are the ways that you've been able to not succumb to mission drift or not just take money for money's sake? Because I've seen a lot of nonprofits do that, right? Where, you know, you're, if you do have to choose between the money and this or closing your doors and helping, you know, you do run to the money sometimes. Mm -hmm. So how have you been able to kind of keep in alignment with your mission? Well, there's a lot of work out there actually for, for these kind of, um, you know, in our industry. So Fair. there is a, there Fair. is an awful lot of, of work. And although we could have decided to work for, we could have decided to work in the private sector and to be delivering management consultancy to, to those 
clients mm-hmm. we had a but it didn't really make sense so the old the ultimate goal and the ultimate point of the of the organization is that we're helping the end beneficiary the service user to have a better life and if there is no end beneficiary or service user then there isn't really a point so so right. if there's an organization that is working for them fine we we will work for them but if they're not then we don't and I just think it comes down to what's the point of the organization I I am um, I feel a lot of the time that sometimes we do work for work's sake and I wouldn't want to be in a position whereby we I was just we were just keeping going with Justice Studio right. just because we set it up you know because it's, it right. exists if there is no if there's no projects anymore or if something happens and we can't make it work financially then then we end but there's I don't see the point in in just in just kind of saying yes to things that we said no to because otherwise we're not really fulfilling our purpose as you say right. we're kind of, our mission is drifting and then everything becomes confused and 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 is there really a point to that Right, right. I I enjoy how you just said, like, you know, what's the point, right? (laughs) And I think a lot of people will say, well, oh, well, they get scared, right? They get fearful with their organizations that, you know, especially once they get employees, I have to keep these people employed, I have to, you know, those responsibilities increase. But I mean, you're unfortunately in a sector where there is no shortage of work for you to do. Um, But when it comes to the future of the organization, like, what are you seeing for the future? Well, I think it's really what I what I would like. And I think the as I said, we came from a one woman band. So a lot of the projects we started doing were very small. And what I want is because of all of the experience and the knowledge that we've amassed. I mean, we work in, as you said, like child justice, criminal justice, gender justice. We work in safeguarding. We're working in climate justice now. And I what I want is for us to have a bit more of an influence on um, some of the direction of funding and where projects happen rather than where we are at the moment which is that we're a bit more reactive we're a bit more kind of you know we come in we evaluate a program and then we think oh they shouldn't have spent their money on this this has made things worse right Um, I'd like us to be able to use the expertise that we've gained over the years so that we could really enhance um our, our influence and 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 make sure that the money is being spent on things that make sense. Right. So come. So start it a little further upstream. It sounds like. Exactly. Is that what Basically, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Of. So you're so you're not almost almost on some levels render yourselves obsolete because you're further upstream, right? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have to come in if they had spent the money appropriately four steps ahead of that, <laughs> right? Yeah. So if you can come in quicker and people can recognize the value quicker, you know, you would, you would have a much better chance of influencing the situation, right? Yeah. And also supporting them to, to do it in a, in a different way to one that they hadn't necessarily thought about. I think that so many things are done because they've always been done and that doesn't necessarily have to be that way. So yeah, I think, yeah, moving further up the food chain and, and having a bit more influence and being able to therefore have that bigger impact. So as you say, you know, the more work you do, you know, the more money you make, the more, more kind of influence or, or impact you have. And I think the higher up the chain we can go and the more that the people who make the decisions about the funding and what happens or doesn't happen um, listen to us, then I feel that we will be achieving our mission a bit better. Yeah. And I mean, what happens or what are your thoughts around, you know, the discomfort that comes with disrupting? 
because I can imagine <laughs> because you've already stated, you know, you hit the nail on the head where you said like, we do things the way that we do them because they've always been done this way. Right. But when you're shining a light on a possibility of a new way to do it, or a way that maybe was previously done that people have ignored, um, you know, how do you deal with that blowback or that, you know, discomfort of others, let's say that may come mm -hmm. back at you. Yeah. I mean, I have no problem disrupting. <laughs> I'm absolutely fine with disrupting. I love it. I, yeah. uh, I I quite enjoy it. And I, I actually think, I mean, that was part of the, the point of Justice Studio, right? To right. set up. Right. To, and that's the point, I think, of entrepreneurs. You know, you you show people how things can be. Most people will, will join an organization and they'll have a job because they think that these are the things that they need to choose from but an entrepreneur will go hold on I don't like that model I want to do a different model and they, so they set it up and then they show the world an alternative way of being an alternative way of working an alternative culture alternative values an alternative purpose so I almost think it's like our mission to do that we need to be creative and allow our creativity to show other people who who can't see how different it could be Right. And what about the people who don't believe you? You show them. Yeah. Thank you. I was going to say, I was like, because there's a lot of that when people say, well, they're not listening. And I was like, well, then don't worry if they're not listening, yeah. just go and show them. And then they will probably have to listen. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And and that's the thing. And, the, and there are a lot of skeptics, of course, but you know, right. I think they can be a real drain. So, so I think it's about not, not spending too much time on, on naysayers and, and just, you know, if you've got an idea, then go about, you know, working out how you do it and start doing it because, you know, it, it's important. Other, you know, business was started by people um, a, a long time ago and, um, with different values in a different world. Um, and we need to, we need to show people how it can be done differently. Right, right. Or else, you know, it's kind of the evolve or die kind of mentality, right? Like where you have to be innovating. I think it's, um, my, my lovely friend, Amy Jo Martins has innovation allergies, right? Like people just will not, they don't want to go near it. They don't want to touch it. They don't, you know, <laughs> they don't want to look and see anything different about it. You know, but I imagine you, you come in and you shine a light on something in a way that's respecting maybe what they did, or maybe not depending on what the situation calls for, but, you know, and then just shining a light on how they can be better as people, as organizations, as all of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, I wouldn't say that we've got it all perfect and that it isn't no. hard. We Nobody don't make does. mistakes. And, um, and equally, I would say, you know, that I don't, I'm, I'm somebody that doesn't like innovation for innovation's sake. I don't like the idea right. of just like constantly reinventing the world because right. we need to be seen as innovative. And that word is used so much as well. I think it's more about thinking about what are we trying to achieve and not being constrained by different ways of trying to achieve that end goal yes. and not feeling like, oh, we want to achieve this. And so we have to do it the same way that it's always been. I think allowing ourselves to have a different model and to to kind of reconstruct the values is is really important because the people who were in power when a lot of structures were set up didn't necessarily serve us and as we as we and particularly women I think get more positions of being able to set up companies and having more responsibility and and having that power to, to set up structures. We don't need to do it in the way that the men did. We can do it in a different way. Um, that's okay. 
Yeah. And I think exactly kind of what you're exemplifying here from a management perspective and from a leadership perspective is, you know, I can, I can only think of so many times when I've cried in an office and been, you know, God forbid that ever happened. And you felt like such a failure as a woman when that happened, but at the same time, you know, you know, somebody else, you just, you can also give them permission when you're in a leadership position to feel that way and to have those vulnerable moments and know that it's a safe container to do so in, which I imagine you also set up when you interview people. So it's kind of a similar container space, right? Yeah, I think it's really important to be clear with people when you interview them and, and to think about how, you know, to try and reflect the organization as, as, as well as possible when, when, you're, um, when you're interviewing so that people get the right sense of, of who you are. Right. And, um, and yeah, and also to, to look for I mean, I, I would say I look for emotional intelligence as, as much as I would look for intelligence. The people that work for me are, are intelligent and I need them to be intelligent, but right. also emotionally intelligent. And that was the, the key thing I was looking for when I appointed the managing director is does she have that emotional, does she have the empathy? Does she have the reflectiveness? Can she hold the space for people? Can she reflect our values? These things were key. And, and these things are sometimes the more difficult things to, to find when you're when especially when you know, you're recruiting for very senior posts so so yeah I think definitely finding people who share those same values and aren't going to be scared about doing things slightly differently is is key and right. it doesn't always work out sometimes people very quickly and, and generally in Justice Studio we tend to realize quite quickly it's not the right match um, for them um, or us because of, of, of various different reasons. But I, I think it's important to work that out quickly, but, but the people that, that do get it, I think thrive in that environment. Right. So, Right, and they thrive. I mean, there's a certain, like I, like I started off saying when I was reading all of, the, all of your amazing credentials is that there is a certain type of personality. There is a certain type of person I can imagine that is aligned with this work for a reason. And some, like <laughs> you tell me if some people come in, like you just said, thinking they can do it and they just can't do it. Right. They don't, or they burn out or like, how does that work? How have you seen that come to fruition? I mean, I think, yeah, I think, I think it probably would be burnout in terms of, yeah, both the kind of, I mean, consultancy is a, a very, it's quite a skilled job and it's also quite an intense job anyway, because right. you're not just right. working on what you're working on a multitude of projects, yes. yep. all different timelines in all different subjects. So it's a lot to manage and it keeps you very interested, like keeps your brain working and it, it certainly doesn't get boring, but yeah, it can, that can be a lot. And then especially yeah, with the different subject matter as well and being a small organization. So we've never had investment. So we've grown because we've first had to do the work of, you know more people than we have you know I right. had to do the work of two people to get another person in and we had to do the work of three people to get another person in and so it's that that especially in a period of growth is is hard on 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 staff and I've certainly seen that 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 it can be too much um for people but um but I think in general they're all so committed to yeah to the subjects that we're working in and each has their own different particular interest maybe it's more gender maybe it's more criminal justice but but everybody is is really passionate about the kinds of projects that we do um, interestingly when you say about person personality types we kind of do those Myers-Briggs things and it, oh, we right. all, often we all fall into the same kind of general pool of of kind of these 
diplomat people who who are kind of really passionate about um about purpose but um tend to overwork <laughs> it's quite funny. <laughs> I think society relies on those people <laughs> on a lot of levels so thank you I mean I'm thinking you but I'm probably in that I'm probably in there too um you know, so do you have any kind of last tidbits of advice for anyone leading like a really deeply mission-driven business, right? Because like you said, it's kind of, it's kind of a unicorn in itself where, you know, like you mentioned one day you're dealing with, you know, the numbers, the next day you're interviewing a person, you know, there's a lot of skill sets required. So any last tidbits that you could leave with the audience? Yeah. I mean, I think that the key thing, well, I've learned a lot about leadership and about how to to be a compassionate but also strong and steadfast and authoritative leader mm -hmm. you 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 know I I'm empathetic and I have a softness to me but at the same time I also sometimes have to make very difficult decisions about right. maybe letting people go or or different things like that but I mean I think that's the most the most horrible decision that you have yes, to make agreed yes is that kind of um, decision and and I and I think it's important for all leaders and all entrepreneurs to kind of go on that journey and and kind of work out how can they how can they be have the softness and the hardness at the same time and to to not feel that you can't be soft or or, or not feel that you um you can't be hard <laughs> right. if that makes sense you yes. kind of need to get a balance between both and that's gonna work for everybody in a slightly different way but having those boundaries of also yourself and your own inner what you are prepared to put up with and not put up with I think has been really important for me to learn especially as a, a woman um I, I keep saying that but I think we're conditioned very much to be pleasing and to kind yes. of do things for other people and so making sure that I have my boundaries in place has been really important to me as well as in, in terms of, of having that balance between the soft and the hardness. Um, but for me, it always boils down to the fact that in the position of leadership and as an entrepreneur, if you set up an organization, ultimately you have to do what's best for the organization and ensure that that survives and until it until it's no longer necessary for it to survive or, or until it doesn't or achieves or the emission is irrelevant anymore um at a certain point so i think it's it's really about thinking about that end goal and what do i need to do for the for the business but having in the long term and having that kind of overview and that long-term thinking so that you can make sometimes difficult short-term decisions in in service to what you want the future of the organization to be. Right. I mean, like you said, like your, your headlights, right. Your, they extend further out than somebody who's maybe a newbie in the organization, right? Like your, your vision, your ability to see and your, your decision-making capability extends out with that, um, a little further out than, you know, someone at an entry-level position would. And I, and I enjoy the fact that you're saying that you don't have to be hard and soft. They're not mutually exclusive. And I think you, you do have to have somewhat of a, a high level of self-awareness to be able to understand what your boundaries are and also understand what you bring to the table for good, bad, ugly, whatever it may be, and understand when you're triggered as a leader in a negative, in a negative way, so that you're not the blowback isn't going to your employees, which I think is a very, again, I hate to say it, very masculine way of doing it, where they get yelled at, shit rolls downhill, they yell at somebody else, right? So which doesn't really usually work. 
very well. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and it's that thing of stress as well. It's that the fact. It's that fact of 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 knowing that as a as the leader or as the the person that set it up, your your stress travels much further than other people's stress, exactly. and so you yeah. need to learn when you're stressed and what you do when you're stressed and if that tends to be to then pass it on to somebody else through shouting at them then that's you're going to need to work on that yeah, and I yeah. think you're exactly right like self-awareness is so important and I look for that when I employ people and I try and constantly work on that myself I think over the years as I said I've learned so much through the different people I've managed the different projects I've done the different way I've been trying to juggle things when I've made mistakes and when I've hopefully got it right and um and just keeping knowing that you're this constantly evolving being which um that that needs to learn and will change in different situations is, is really important um certainly it's been interesting as well handing my baby over to this managing right. director and, and right. kind of me learning the psychological impact of that it's felt kind of existentially challenging in a yeah. way to to, to have to have responsibility, but no longer really day-to-day -day control of the organization. And mm -hmm. I I knew it would be hard, but I didn't quite know how deeply it would kind of- Yes, it permeates. For me. Yeah, exactly, yeah. permeates through. And so that's been my current challenge. I mean, you know, you always get challenges. You think you, you, you think you're, you're good like, oh, enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, there's another challenge. Um, so yeah, this has been my my most recent challenge is how can I, I need to still hold the space and I need to give her a chance to, to, to kind of take the organization forward. And I know it's the right thing for the organization and for myself that I kind of gradually step back because I want it to be sustainable. But, but yeah, psychologically that yeah. is hard and I need to be aware of, of making sure that I don't, you know trigger anybody or trigger myself or, or kind of unduly um upset that process as well yeah and i mean and, and keeping your own expectations in check too because you are human right because that is a such a hard thing and i was reading something about how you know that that there should be like a course or a something for when especially around ceos who you know sell an exit like an exit strategy like psychologist, right? Who works with that person, especially, you know, like you said, it is your baby. And that is another intersection of where nonprofit and for-profit comes in play. Cause I see it a lot in founders, like founder syndrome and things like that, um, where they don't want to let it go. But you, I applaud you for saying it's for the best of the organization that I do release, but yeah. maybe I may kick and scream a little bit on the way. And that's okay too, because you've worked really hard on it. Yeah, and I can completely understand why founders would start going down the road and then backtrack and be like, actually, no, <laughs> I'm going to stay in charge. Like, I, I had all of those kind of feelings. And, and I think if I wasn't, if I wasn't working on myself and reflecting on myself and thinking, no, hold on, you know, what do you really want? What is your real, what's my life purpose? purpose? Right. What's Justice Studios life purpose? I mean, it's, you know, it's time for us to, to part and let the child go to university or whatever it is. Um, yeah. It, it is hard and I can see why people wouldn't wouldn't want to go through that process but yeah. but I think when it is the right decision for for you riding it out riding out those emotions is important and and, and kind of you know letting them come <laughs> riding waves <laughs> riding <laughs> riding the wave right instead of letting it completely capsize your your boat right and I think yeah. what I love what I love hearing when you're talking is the fact that you're saying like you know you're open to learning you're open to feeling you're op you're just open um which I think sometimes folks when they're running companies think they've arrived and then it stops 
right? And I don't think it, I don't think it ever stops ever as humans or as leaders or as entrepreneurs, right? No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. There's always a new challenge. And, and yeah, you, you, there is this kind of nice idea of maybe sitting in a corner office and you know, putting your feet up, <laughs> right. staring at the, uh, the yeah. lovely view. But yeah, no, it really isn't. And I think that that's probably what everybody finds. They kind of think, oh yeah, this is great. I'm kind of the boss now or whatever, but actually being the boss is quite, it's very hard. Yeah. And it's different. <laughs> yeah. It's a different set yeah. of challenges. Don't underestimate it folks. You don't, you know, it's, it's kind of be careful what you wish for. And it's not that you don't want to continue to wish for big things, but just be aware of yeah. what it's going to require of you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I've certainly felt that at, at different points, a, a, a big eye opener of, Oh, okay. Wow. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's wonderful. Well, tell people where they can find you. I'm going to link to, you know, your company, to you, all that good stuff in the notes, but tell people anyway, where they can get you. Great. Well, we have our website, justicestudio.org and we have our Twitter, which is at Justice Studio. We have our Instagram, which is at Justice Studio. We're on Facebook and we're on LinkedIn. And then I personally am at Creatrix London on Instagram. And I'm also on LinkedIn and yeah, it'd be great to I'd be love, love to hear, to talk to anybody really about it. I think, <laughs> but yeah, that's how you can reach us. And so, yeah, yeah. please do. And I have to say, you put up very interesting videos on Instagram. I enjoy them because you teach, you teach a lot of interesting things about our, about our history and about things that maybe you wouldn't think of that are very enlightening. So thank you for putting those out. And, you know, thank you very much for, for enlightening our leaders today on the show too. Thank you. It's been really, it's been really fun to talk to you. You know, I applaud Marianne on so many levels, but the fact that, you know, she kind of bobs and weaves into a lot of different lanes as a leader of the type of organization that she leads and because of the work that she does and that she really seems to have kind of figured out on some level. And as she said, it's always evolving, which I think every good leader and every good entrepreneur should always be evolving on some level, but, you know, found that sweet spot where she does believe compassion needs its place in leadership, where empathy needs its place, but also, you know, understanding and being self-aware enough to know when, you know, which tool in the toolbox is needed. Is this the time when you must be steadfast to make the hard decisions? And by the way, you can approach those with empathy and that they're not mutually exclusive. So I think this, this interview is really eye-opening for me on a lot of levels, and I hope it was for you. And on next week's episode, I am welcoming my friend, Erica Kidder to the show. Now, Erica is an equity advocate, an author, a speaker, a fantastic person. And she has a beautiful new book coming out, which is called Black Mixed With. And it's a powerful memoir that explores the strength around authenticity through adversity, you know, with in the context of racial discrimination. And there's just so much good stuff. So you do not want to miss it. And if you love this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, download, follow, rate, and review. And you know, tell a friend because who couldn't use a little more resilience in their life, right? See you later.